This is Rhetoric in Retrospect. I'm Ben, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Max and David. In this episode, we will discuss literary alchemy. Quote, Literature adds to reality. It does not simply describe it. It enriches the necessary competencies that daily life requires and provides, and in this respect, it irrigates the deserts that our lives have already become. C.S. Lewis Well, well, th- this is our our first time. Yeah, it is. It so, is. Well, we'll see how this goes. If you're <laughs> hearing this, listeners, well, we, we made it through, and I'm very impressed. Yeah. Okay, so I think that we'll start off by discussing our, our exhorting, which is, of course, by C.S. Lewis. So mm. what do you all think of that? I think it's a, a rather straightforward exordium, but it, yeah, I like it. Does it imply that we can't live without literature, or is it? I I am. I think that to not that we can't live without it, but I think that he's saying that it very much so enriches our lives, and I like his comparison to deserts. That yes, particularly in the time that Lewis is writing, we have become deserts of stories. I are not stories, but um, um, yeah, our lives in general. Okay, so the imagery there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some good imagery. So I think that's that's enough of the exordium, and uh, I I will go to the overview because you probably reading this unless you're one of the many people of which I have given my spiel on alchemy, um, you probably have no idea either what alchemy and literary alchemy are, or you have some um, strange idea of what they are. So in a nutshell, there are many, many different definitions of alchemy, many of which I will probably bring up as we speak. But the, the in a nutshell one is alchemy was the ancient science of working towards the purification of the soul of the alchemist. And th- this probably sounds very out there to you, but but just hear me out and let me explain, and hopefully you shall be convinced to come over to my point of view by the end of this. So alchemical symbolisms have been used in most of traditional English literature, and understanding those symbols really reveals a whole new layer of depth to us in, in stories written by people like Shakespeare and Chaucer and Joyce and J.K. Rowling. I know, I know. We'll, we'll have an episode on Harry Potter, I promise, and it'll be very good. Uh, I, I, I really like to talk about that subject. It's wonderfully written, but I'm getting off topic. So what, what, why we ask is such symbolism in these stories? Well, in proper stories, the, the reader identifies with the hero and his emotions, and ideally this experience is congruent with actually experiencing what the hero does. And we as readers experience, or watchers, or listeners, or whatever it is, we experience catharsis or purification along with the protagonist of the story. So a textbook example of this is Shakespeare's plays. The bard understood very well the transformer of the viewer in his plays and was equivalent to the work of alchemy. And on his stage, particularly Shakespeare's, the alchemist metals are purified and refined in that you can see that in a lot of the names that he chooses are either reflections of alchemical colors or symbolism and such. And we can talk more about that later. But he was sort of the spark of that movement. And over the ages, alchemical symbolism is really become a shorthand for 
transformation and stories in general. And The Alchemical Artist offers our soul delight and dramatic release through archetypal and purifying experiences, I wrote. So we don't necessarily believe in historical alchemy as a science, and it certainly should not be practiced. However, I will import parrot the importance of literary alchemy. So a relationship to in to something that we know of is probably these the symbols are often related to characters we love in books and indicate to us where in the story and arc of transformation we are and the really useful signposts so it was developed largely the science of alchemy was developed largely in the middle ages and it was a transformational science which is now known as a precursor to chemistry of a sort but as we will go over later on they are very unrelated except in superficial topics yeah david uh how come if it's if it's been around since the middle ages how how come people don't uh know about it as much that that's another thing we'll talk about because it's it's fallen out of style because it was largely associated with religions and that's a really interesting thing that the chinese and the jewish and the islamic and christian traditions all came up with their version of alchemy all of which have been lumped together under the same name. And we're talking about the the pretty much the purest form of alchemy, which is the transformation of the soul. It, that's the general underlying principle, though there are a bunch of different things. But that, in literary alchemy, that's what we're talking about when we say alchemy, the transformation of the soul. And that's pretty much what it was. And all of this alchemy in history was always used within a, a quote, revealed tradition, end quote, also known, we we know it today as religion, but alchemists would only practice alchemy as an add-on to the religion. It, it's not its own art. It's purification along with the... Yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that later. And also, um, that you probably ha have some, as a listener, unless I've explained this to you before, you probably have some misgivings, especially as a Christian, thinking, well, th this doesn't sound right. This sounds pretty sketchy, but uh, I will allay your concerns later if you're not. So it, wh where do I get this authority, you may ask? Where, how, how do I get to say what alchemy is? And wh where are some examples? Well, we see the symbolism used in paintings, poems, and books such as those by Shakespeare, Blake, Herbert, Don, Milton, Chaucer, C.S. Lewis, James Joyce, and J.K. Rowling, among many others. And I think if we have the time, I'll give you quite a few examples from some of those pieces. Okay. Quotes. I, I have a, a great deal of quotes. And the, the, um, the alchemist, like, it's the entire science of alchemy is sort of an antithesis to our modern empirical worldview that everything is made of matter and energy. And so the the alchemist, like all traditional or non-modern people, understood man to be essentially spirit, as man is created by the spirit, thus spirit, capital S, then soul, then physical body, rather than the reverse. Nowadays, we think that the lesser comes, or the greater comes from the lesser. So it was body, then soul, then spirit. But the alchemist understood that we were created as spirit, and then we're given a soul and a physical body, and in that order. So... His personhood or humanity was, he knew, to be a joining of the body and soul without seem. That's what we are. We're a conglomeration of what we'll 
probably get into the tripartite soul at some point, and I recommend oh, you go yes. listen to Classical Stuff You Should Know's episode on the tripartite soul. And so the, the alchemist knew that his personhood or hum- humanity was a joining of the body and soul without seam, and his tragedy was that he was fallen, i.e. that he had lost his, lost his spiritual capacity or intellectus, by means of which Adam walked and talked with God in the garden. So alchemy was the means in conjunction in conjunction with the mysteries of the church by which he could regain this lost capacity and the sub the substance or the metal changing from lead to gold was his soul and the riches that he could glean were spiritual riches holiness and immortality and gold because it was considered the most perfect of metals not just for its beauty but also because it did not rust or rust or tarnish and just like we hear that our treasures in heaven will will not be oh yeah yeah rust yeah 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 uh it seems the view of alchemists as sort of religious people and the alchemy is simply as an addition to their normal worship it seems sort of contradictory to i think the majority of people's idea of alchemists is that they're looking for the philosopher's stone to gain immortality or turn basic metals such as lead into gold is simply for material worth increasing their own material worth as opposed to uh some sort of some sort of spiritual basis so i think it's really interesting that you bring that up yeah and i i also heard you mention that uh the alchemist uh he understood man to be composed of the spirit the soul and the body, which reminds me of the body, mind, and soul, which yeah. is how I would describe a human to be composed yeah. of. So, is the is the spirit the mind? How does that how does that work? I I think that this is not the usual terminology that we hear. We usually hear soul, mind, body, but I think that in this case, the spirit is referencing the soul, mm-hmm. and the the soul, the mind, and the body, the body, and I'm fairly certain you could correct me on that. Please email us at rhetoric, rhetoric in a retrospect at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, quandaries, or questions, and we would love to hear those and correct us, please. But I believe that that is the, the, um, the, the, um, translation between those and what we hear in the tripartite soul. So uh, in addressing your question, Max, you, you said that, and and david too you said that it it's alchemists are usually thought of were taught either it was some early pseudoscience practiced by superstitious quacks to turn lead into gold and produce a philosopher's stone which is supposed to produce the elixir of life so you can live forever and turn lead into gold but that was a very superficial piece of it because back then they thought the the traditional worldview then was that there is not a chasm between subject and object. That is, objects do not have independent existence from their observers and vice versa. So an alchemist understood the substances with which he was working as being related to him. Now, we say that us and a rock are completely different, but the alchemist understood that there was some relation between the two, and his metals corresponded in some degree to the elements of his soul. And so as he works with them, the thought is that he's purified in correspondence. Mm. So where, where does the connection between the materials and his soul come from? Do we have some connection to the materials of this earth or? 
I'm not entirely sure where they make up all of this stuff. That there is, there must be some source because we we can address it if you want. Find anything from a book, pretty much, and we have an excellent dictionary of literary um, alchemy, alchemical imagery, which we can find pretty much any word. Look it up and say, oh, th this is what the meaning of that is in relation. Um, so the um. The, the relationship between the material and the object related to a correspondence as he purified himself in obedience to the work, the work would advance in his soul or bodily consciousness would go through corresponding changes. So this was not magic or work independent by nature, but an accelerating of the natural work by observance of supernatural, even contranatural principles. So Titus Buckhart, who with, I, I, I'm probably butchering them, the pronunciation of his last name, who with Mircea Eliade is the authority on the history and meaning of alchemy, called it the the art of the transmutation uh, of the soul. In saying this, I am not seeking to deny that alchemists also knew and practiced metallurgical procedures such as the purification and alloying of metals. Their real work, however, for which all these procedures were merely the outward supports or operational symbols, was the transmutation of the soul, and the testimony of the alchemists on this point is unanimous. So the, 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 the entire alchemy is summed up in the adage, quote, to make the body a spirit and of the spirit a body, end quote. So that, that's pretty, that, that's our background on alchemy itself, but we are not in any way endorsing historical alchemy. But I will say that it has become such a tool used by the best authors who know what's happening it it works as a signpost to tell you where we are and it's a super useful tool to know when reading books so we, we can skip past all of this that okay quote alchemical language and themes are a shorthand the success of an artist following this tradition is measured by the edification of his audience by means of traditional methods and symbols, the alchemical artist offers our soul's delight and dramatic release through archetypal and purifying experiences. So that that may be harder for some of us than the idea of alchemy as a sacred science. And you probably grew up with the idea that reading was entertainment and diversion and anything but life-changing. And this idea has only been around for the last almost nearly a century, 80 years or something. But it, it's a a gross misconception as Argozoridium addressed that and pretty much any professor of literature or historians of religion or anthropologists will tell you that the rule in traditional cultures, even in profane cultures such as ours, is that story in whatever form instruction instructs and imitates. Yeah. So any questions on that? That that literature has a deeper impact on us than we than yeah. may see. Uh, I agree with that. I definitely agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll probably have podcasts on being careful about what we read. It's It really does influence us much more than we think. And nowadays we think, oh, uh, we'll go read this book. It, and it, it, But books can change our lives, and they really do in miraculous ways. So they're, they're an amazing tool for both good and evil. That reminds me of the subliminal messaging scare where... They inserted words in the beginning of a a movie, it start just single frames and supposedly would influence people's opinions or yeah. what they would do. But I do believe that 
it does have some influence. The books you read have the sub, the subtext has influence over your own opinion, whether you realize it or not. Mm. Mm-hmm. But is it is it the same thing as uh, people play back? Uh, I think it's Led Zeppelin songs, and there are messages yeah. hidden inside yeah, that in they reverse. Huh. yeah in reverse. Wow. So is it the same as that? Is that what you're describing, or is it more? Uh, I think it's slightly different. Let me pull something up. There's, I, I'm trying to look it up now, but there's an excellent C.S. Lewis quote on an influence which cannot evade your consciousness will not go very deep. That's probably not the precise wording, but that's very close. And he's saying that there is subliminal messaging, I think, in that, because if we know exactly what's happening in, in a story, it's not going to penetrate very deep into our thoughts. And yeah, the, the, this is one of those methods of revealing the deeper meanings that we'll probably do a podcast on the four layers of meaning and this is pretty much the the anagogical or moral layer of meaning this alchemy it's it's telling you what what's going on in the story on a deeper level than the surface all right so on the subliminal messaging in 1957 james vicari sorry if i pronounced that wrong he inserted the words eat popcorn and drink coca-cola the single frames into a movie and supposedly the single frame wasn't long enough for our our conscious mind to observe however supposedly it would infect our subconscious mind and influence our opinions and it supposedly created an 18.1% increase in coke in sales and 57.8 increase in popcorn sales however it turned out that it was a hoax mm. huh yeah yeah, and the we're, we're sort of teaching you here, equipping you with a tool to go forth into reading and think um, that, yeah, and the, the three tests that you can really apply for intentional integration of literary alchemy is the evidence should be fairly clear, which is to say the author should give fairly obvious hints, and the book should show a design akin and parallel to the stages of the alchemical work and have plenty of imagery and symbolism that are taken from the same work, and the evidence should not have another as likely or believable explanation from traditional or conventional literature. So, you're talking about the soul here, and what I understand that to be is a thing that the, the Christians believe to be true, and we believe to be true, yeah. since we are Christians. So where does our connection to God come in, and... Uh, furthermore, where, what happens when we die? Uh, concerning this, what um, what is the benefit to our soul that literature gives us? And is this a a thing uh, of of making yourself immortal, or is this? Yeah. So, the, I sort of talked uh, briefly mentioned that quote. If I can find it again, on how. The, the the purpose of the alchemist was to that the, the metals and the philosopher's stone was just superficial and it really corresponded to more eternal lasting things so that your purification was through loving God and getting to that eternal paradise and here I I, I wrote down a section here on 
the Christian perspective, because listening, if you have listened this far, thank you very much. Congratulations. This probably <laughs> seems pretty out there to you. And our modern knowledge of alchemy is that it was some me- medieval voodoo out of which chemistry grew. And it's that there's four things that some people think it to be either something with out of which chemis- chemistry grew. Some of it find it to be witchcraft or the path to the subconscious mind. And some of the histories are of alchemies are some of those things. It's a very broad umbrella, that word under which a lot of things are put. And there's a bunch of different branches like talked about before, the Chinese, Jewish, Islamic, and Christian traditions all produced a bunch of different parts all lumped together under the word alchemy. But the literary alchemy that we're talking about is that utilized by the English greats. Quote, in its best and most representative form, it was a spiritual path to return fallen man to his Edenic Edenic perfection. So, on hearing the spiel, many Christians rightfully first rightful first reaction is similar to the following. This is a, a letter from an anonymous person to Mr. John Granger, who is probably the the major public figure on literary alchemy, particularly within Harry Potter, and that this is a letter to him from an anonymous person. Uh, excerpt from it. Quote, to seek a mortal life on earth by restoring the soul to its pre-Adamic, as an Adam, ick, yeah. state of innocency is to seek salvation apart from Christ and to endeavor to overcome the effects of original sin by means of nature rather than grace. And to create a stone that produces unlimited quantities of gold is to succumb to the vice of greed and would wreck the world's economy. And these are valid concerns, but let us delay them for at least literary alchemy. All, all of these all of those practicing alchemy did not treat it as a distinct science, rather applied it to the, quote, revealed tradition or religion, like we said earlier. Even Martin Luther is supposed to have endorsed it and Thomas Aquinas to practice it. Quote, it wasn't a new age stand-in for Christian faith and practice, but as Lewis would put it, other, another means, because of the revelation of nature, Romans one twenty, for men to conform their souls to reality. So, Mr. John Granger sums up really well any attack of, any Christian attack of alchemy. So for one, and three points, for one, historical alchemy only exists within a revealed tradition as an ancillary science, so along with whatever the religion is. And two, historical alchemy has been historical, which is to say dead for at least four centuries, and because it rests on a mental capacity, the victory of the nominalists over the realists during the Renaissance and Enlightenment makes it pretty much impossible for us understanding the subject-object distinction as illusion, and so it can't really be resurrected at this point. And for third, literary alchemy, or the alchemy of sage and page, which I really like, that, that Titus Buckhart said that, um, is the only surviving alchemy and is no rival at all to the faith of the Christians. So, yeah. uh, I think this quote sums it up well. The use of literature to instruct while delighting and to smuggle the gospel in the way it serves a religious function in a desacralized culture, if anything, points to the importance of the alchemists' medieval imagination and how it worked in tandem with their traditional faith and Christian practice. So, to conclude this background section, I think that we can accept and appreciate alchemy as a literary signpost, which can clue us into deeper layers of meaning within a story and is often applied at the same time 
and in the same way which c.s lewis applied astrology to his works of fiction which we'll have to have a podcast on planet narnia and such and it's used as a vessel to smuggle the gospel instruct world delighting and train in the stock responses when rightly applied it is used as an invitation to the worldview which is logos uh, aka word or christ centric that world of transformational faith yeah any questions that's not the extent of my notes on this I think it's very interesting to just look past uh, the word alchemy itself. Because when I think alchemy, I think, I mean, sorcery. I think yeah. uh, I think of that, what you were saying, that voodoo sort of magic thing. But as you're going on about it, I realize that it's not, it's not what I think it it really is it's something entirely different and it can be used for for good and to glorify god yeah through literature yeah i think it's sort, of, it's sort of disappointing to have the name alchemy in the name referring to the elements of stories storytelling in literature because again we all have this preconceived notion of what alchemy is and so i feel it might hinder the cause the perfectly justifiable cause of sub um subliminal messaging not exactly subliminal messaging but subtext yeah deep subtext in literature so pairing with the word alchemy might yeah hinder the cause agreed because that this sums it up well Alchemy, whatever it may have been, no longer exists as a synonym for magical transformation and as a resource for artists and authors writing on personal change. So I, I think you're right. We shouldn't really refer to it as literary alchemy as much because that word, you're right, has been deassociated with magical transformation. And yeah, it, 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 I think it's a really important piece of literature in general because if we don't understand the idea of it, we can miss out on the depth breadth and height of plays by Shakespeare, poetry by Don and Eliot, and the novels of Lewis and Tolkien. So, yeah. I think you'll be very happy with this, Ben, but I I do want to see the relation between this since you mentioned it, the the Philosopher's Stone. So that that main goal to find the Philosopher's Stone through uh-huh. other materials. So according to wizardingworld.com, uh oh my Harry Potter, this is from Harry Potter. So uh-huh. uh the uh the Philosopher's Stone obviously was was capable of turning metal into gold, but it also granted immortality. So yeah. how d- does literary alchemy also do that? Or can it do that? The... If you were to read the right things uh let's let's restrict it to non-sacred literature uh-huh yeah um hmm how how to how to put it the how, how, how do i is there a that's a that's a really bad explanation uh is is there a comparison to be made between the philosopher's stone in alchemy and something in literary alchemy yes and i think the best place that you see that applied is within jk rowling's 
Harry Potter because she puts in the most obvious clues. The name of the first book is Harry Potter. Well, it was before Scholastic changed it. Was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And so she puts it really out there. And the Philosopher's Stone is sort of a representation of the soul in a way. It, it's the end goal, having the soul be... Uh. Ha as it said, turn lead into gold, so we can turn, our souls can turn what is lead into what is gold, so we can see that as going out and ministering to people or whatever, and produce the elixir of life. And so we are, our souls are producing the elixir of life. And so the the um, connotation to that would be everlasting paradise in heaven. So, yeah, I think you can make that relation pretty well. All right, all right. Yeah. So, unless you have any other questions about that, we can get into what is often, how it's often applied. So, a, a way that it's often used is in colors. So, the the three main colors of alchemy are black, white, and red, and that that's sort of the three main stages of alchemy. So, in the black stage or the nigredo. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. N i g r e d o. That that's the the stage in which the the soul or the material or often the character we see in a book is quote unquote burnt to a crisp, and that that that's the most painful part of a book to read. It's where you see everything that the character knows stripped away. They're put in terrible situations. They make the wrong decisions. It it's just all around not great and very unpleasant to read. But then the next part is very pleasant to read. That's the albedo. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. A-L-B-E-D-O. And that's the, the white work. And that's where we see a lot of rain, snow, anything white, moon, white lilies, etc. And that's sort of the stage where that cinder that's that's been burnt is sort of washed underwater and see the the um all all that soot washed away i suppose and that that's a um yeah a, a material for for the next stage and then there's the rubedo stage where that that's the red stage where that that white blank slate is sort of infused it, it's often seen as blood but it can be anything and the, the resolution of contraries there is with metal, at least, is usually sulfur and mercury. And that's the, 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 they're combined and they destroy each other. And that sort of creates, yeah, it, so it, not, not into the weeds of all of it, but it, often when you see those colors in books, I will bring up J.K. Rowling again in her, uh, spoilers warning. In the Order of the Phoenix, that's one of the most painful books to read. You see all of this black imagery, the house of black, serious black, serious black dies, and that's a very unpleasant book to read. By the end, Harry is completely, completely burnt to a crisp, I suppose, and we see him sitting by the side of a lake, and he's just so so messed up at that point he's just yelled at his headmaster 
etc etc i won't spoil the whole thing but then in that last scene we see mist we see a lake we see water and then that that leads well into the next book which is um the harry potter and the half-blood prince and in that pretty much every single scene we see something white we see somebody crying we see somebody drinking alcohol one of those things is a a, a sign a signpost to harry's washing i suppose and that's yeah in, in it we see him restored to pretty much what what he was to a, a blank slate upon which to be written i suppose and then in the last book which is one of my favorite books harry potter and the deathly hollows that that's his red stage and it's 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 very well put that we see the the wedding of the um the um what what you call it um 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 are the characters or are they uh... yeah the the alchemical wedding of oh bill and floor are supposed to be the resolution of contraries of mercury and sulfur and it's it just all of this it's chock full and you you, you see the the characters die you see serious black die black you see albus albus is latin for white dumbledore die then you see f red fred weasley die in the last book mm. so she, she throws in all of this symbolism and we we won't go and address every single book and say this is how you you can find alchemy in it, but if you you just take away those three concepts black white and red and understand what those three layers of meaning are in alchemy, a, a lot of good authors use them to great effect in their works, and you can tell when that's done right, and it's it's a really neat tool to be applied. So, yeah, that's most of what I have to say on that. Anything else? I think just to to always be aware that it could be used for bad. Yeah. Right. And uh, we, we consider doing a podcast on this. Maybe we'll just combine it with this one. But yes, mo like this, like everything, is just a tool. And while it is a good tool, which is difficult to use for no unpurification or or whatever you i don't know how you would put that but it can be when it's well applied it can be a great vessel of in which you can smuggle the gospel and instruct while the lighting and i think it often is used by that it's brought brings you into the world of transformational faith really because it itself is transformation which was used by Christians in particular, uh, Martin Luther and Thomas Aquinas both were aware of this, endorsed it, and Thomas Aquinas was supposed to have practiced it. So it's it's in the tradition of Christians, and it's often used by English literature in their great works. So, yeah. Is that all we have? Uh, just Just to cover how... How is this? Why does this matter to me? How uh, how is this applicable to to my life? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, I I think we we will certainly cover the four layers of meaning, and that will be get a little deeper into that and incorporate this. But I think that I will bring up literary alchemy 
in most of our book discussions, which of which I hope we will have very many. And the we can gain such a deeper understanding of books, plays, paintings. I recently had to do for our what were if you didn't know, three students at a classical homeschool in New England, and I recently had to do a art art project. And in that art project, I picked a painting, and then I went to my dictionary of alchemical imagery, and I found, oh, look it, there's there's a deer prancing about on this side. It was the expulsion from the Garden of Eden by Thomas Cole. And I said, oh, look it, there's a deer on this side. There's a deer being torn apart by a wolf and a vulture on the other side. There's calm water on this side, there's rushing water on the other side, there's fire here, there's ice here, there's um, golden rays of light, etc. And you can identify all of these things, even if you don't have such a dictionary, you can go through stories and gain such a deeper understanding. Go read Shakespeare, go read J.K. Rowling, go read Milton or whatever, and you can go think, hmm, how is this relating to the three stages of alchemy? And in that, you can usually find something relating to it because all of these authors knew this. They learned from their they learned from their good friends and said, "Yeah, yeah." Uh that yeah, identified with it and said, "I'll put this in. This is good imagery to be used." So, I think it's very applicable to us. It it's not 100% necessary, but I think it's a very little known fact about literature that really enhances your knowledge and understanding of the work which you're reading. Yeah. That's our applications. All right. What? Just any any takeaways, tidbits, anything like that? Uh, I think that uh, if if you want to take away from this, take away that literary alchemy is pretty much a tool which can be used for good or evil, and is often used in good literature for good. But do be aware. It, we're, we're talking only about literary alchemy here. We're, we're, we're not at all, at all, at all rec recommending historical alchemy. It Most of it was out there. And while there may be a few Christians that endorse it, that's a very slippery slope to go down. And if you want to take something away from this, take away those three three layers of alchemy, the, those three progressions of the transmutation of the soul. And when you're reading the book, think about that. Say, hmm, I wonder how this is alchemically related and who knows you might learn something interesting yeah and if i were to recommend any books for you and you, you want to go deeper into this i highly recommend highly recommend i i know it, it i know the, the the title might throw you off a bit but how harry cast his spell by john granger is an excellent book you can find it on amazon pretty much anywhere books are sold and that goes deep a lot deeper we will certainly do a podcast on harry potter but that goes a lot deeper into the symbolism both in harry potter and of alchemical imagery in general and shakespeare etc so i highly recommend you check that out and then also if you want a good dictionary of alchemical imagery lindy abraham from cambridge university press has published a dictionary of alchemical imagery i believe that's also on amazon and that's an excellent resource to have. If you're going through any book, then look up any of the symbols and find them in that book. And I guarantee you'll be blown away with how the author has integrated it. And then third is an article that you can find online. It is now behind a paywall on Touchstone. Yeah, 
touchstonemag.com and it's in the archives but it is called a the alchemist tale by also by john granger um um and if you want to find out you can go into the wayback machine which is web.archive.org i believe yes and that is an excellent resource you can go look up the alchemist tale on touchstone copy that link put it into the wayback machine and you can read that article you'll find a lot of the ideas that i just quoted in that article and that that that's a very good one on this entire thing it's very lengthy refutations from a christian perspective it's a christian magazine it's very good i highly recommend you read it and the last and most accessible article is from hogwartsprofessor.com which is a wonderful website i highly recommend you peruse and there's all sorts of stuff not just on harry potter but on books in general there's a really great community of serious readers who if you have a question say it in the comments they will spam you with all of this information it's like drinking from a fire hose it's amazing but there's an article on there called the relationship of alchemy and christianity and that quote from a concerned christian that i gave to you is in that article and mr ranger's probably much more concise refutation of it than mine so i highly recommend you go there and read it and yeah i think that's pretty much all i have great to hear anything else uh, I do not have any questions. Max, do you have any questions? Great. Well, please take this, apply it to some books you read, and, well, I suppose we'll see you next time, whenever next time is, hopefully in a week from when this is published. I don't know when this will be published. Sometime soon, hopefully. And, well, with that, thank you for listening to the end. I am very impressed that you have not been thrown off by all of my, my out there stuff. But I hope I hope you come away with a, a good understanding of alchemy and a way to apply that to literature. So thank you for listening. This has been Rhetoric and Retrospect. Your questions, comments, quandaries, questions, comments. I already said that. No. Well, we, there's one more. Com corrections. Yes. Yeah. Comments, corrections, questions, and quandaries are greatly coveted. So please send them to us at rhetoricandretrospect at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time. This has been Men, Max, and David. Off we go. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.